Hi there, my name is Alex Faust and you're listening to Conversations at the Edge. Each week we meet with the top business thought leader to learn what they think we should be prioritizing to build better businesses, positively impact our communities, and scale up. All right, good morning, good afternoon, good night, depending on what part of the world you are joining us from. I am Alex Faust, your host of Conversations at the Edge, and today I'm very excited to be joined here by Greg Crabtree. And if you're not familiar with Greg or his work, he's a speaker, author, entrepreneur, and financial expert. He founded his own firm, Crabtree Rowan Berger, to focus on helping entrepreneurs build their economic engine. But in 2011, Greg published his first book, Simple Numbers, Straight Talk, Big Profits, to share his core principles of how to turn your business into a wealth-building engine. And his Simple Numbers 2.0 was just released in 2020. He's also known for his contribution to Vern Harnish's book, Scaling Up, on how to improve profits through labor efficiency. And so Greg is often our go-to expert when it comes to the P&L, the balance sheet, and I'm very excited to host him for Conversations at the Edge today. So Greg, welcome uh, to the community, and where are you calling in from today? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm actually in the office, believe it or not, today uh, in Huntsville, Alabama. To start, I want to talk about the goal of an organization when it comes to the financials. And I'm curious if there are some sort of uh, like standard profitability goals in which all organizations should be hoping to achieve. Yeah, and it's a great question. You know, in, in the first book, when I wrote it in 2011, uh, was kind of the culmination of just studying businesses and, and, and we set you know, a standard that, that from observation that as a general rule, and this still holds true, that at 5% profit, you're on life support because you're just not generating enough free cash flow to, to meet any capital demands or, uh, uh, you know, any variations in the business. 10% is a good business. 15% is great. Uh, and then anything above 15% taking while you can get it because the market will probably compete you back. But, you know, it's kind of like a lot of things. Uh, Eli Goldratt, Goldratt, who wrote the book, The Goal, he had another book that was really my favorite called Necessary But Not Sufficient. And, and so as we looked at that, it's a good example of when we saw that observation, we said, well, that's, that's certainly necessary to make that profit. But that answer is not sufficient because there's 30% or more of the marketplace that has a different number that they should aim at. And as we continued on, the Simple Numbers 2.0 book, I, I was able to, to really nail down. We, we feel like we can nail down a, a minimum acceptable profit number for any business in the developed economies by looking at return on invested capital. And so that's now how we set it. Um, and now the fact is, 10 to 15 percent is actually pretty standard for, for most businesses that are a you know, mid to low capitalization business. But realistically, you set your profit target based on the, you know, the three core components of capital. What's the cat minimum cash you should have in the business? How much infrastructure cost do you have minus the debt, kind of a cash on cash kind of mindset, you know, as we look at equipment or, 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 or fixtures. But very few businesses, a lot of businesses today don't really have much in infrastructure costs. But the biggie is what we call trade capital. And so trade capital is kind of a derivation of working capital. That, you know, I, I contend that we, we created a bad term when we came up with working capital because that's current assets minus current liabilities. Well, the reality is it's a flawed number because working capital contains two numbers that I think should never have been in there, cash and debt. Cash is a choice. Debt is a choice. 
once you take cash and debt out of the working capital calculation, what you have is a very clean picture of those turnover assets and liabilities of AR work in progress inventory minus net of accounts payable deferred revenue accrued expenses. And it's my good friend Alan Miltz, who we share a lot of a lot of talks together and, and share common ideas on this. And you know, I've learned a lot from from listening to Alan myself over the years. This is really taking that holistic overview picture of throwing those things together because yes, I need to focus on making AR better, making inventory better, and so forth. But realistically, it's about the completion of those numbers net of their funding sources of AP or or advanced payments from customers. And and a lot of times there's trade-off decisions, and I, I can't get it the same way. And so as we focused on that as a core component, we've seen just significant improvement in our clients' understanding that, listen, in the world of business, you got two choices. If I've got high capitalization, I got to get that profit number up. And if I can't get that profit number up, I got to go attack the capital requirements and bring the capital requirements down. And, and once you know how to, I, I got to, it's a two-pronged attack. I can't be singularly focused on one to the detriment of the other. And we've just seen amazing results as we've brought focus to that with our clients and track it. And it's communicated to them the way we look at trade capital. We look at trade capital on a rolling basis as a, um, as a percentage of revenue. And, and so what we're always trying to do is get our profit percentage equal to or higher than the trade capital percentage. And we, we found that to be the simplest measure of a cash flow free growth business. And, and I always look for things that what, what is it that gets the entrepreneur to do what's in their best interest? And, and this has been the best metric that I've been able to communicate and show to our clients to give them that steely backbone to either get serious about pushing profitability up or get serious about demanding better terms, you know, from their customers or doing, getting some trade support for their inventory uh, or any of any and all of those things, you know, in that regard. Now, I'll give you a great example. I mean, I was talking to one of our large HVAC uh, contracting companies is doing about $25 million in revenue and they were bebopping along feeling okay about their profitability. And I, and I showed them return on invested capital calculation because we, we believe that a minimum return on invested capital for any viable, sustainable business should be 50% or better. So, so this is what I want the audience to listen to. Number one is, if you run your business the correct way, the minimum return on investment year in and year out of profit relative to what you have invested to, to create that profit should be 50%. Anybody want a 50% CD? or a bond. Yeah, I, I, I think I'll take that. Oh, by the way, the average is closer to 75. So that you as an entrepreneur, you have the best wealth engine as a business that you could ever hope for if you're a skilled operator and you can scale it. And so as I was showing these guys, they came in at about 35%. Guess what? They, they, they've changed their targets. They've changed their sites now. And, and so they were really about a million dollars short of the profit target that they should have been aiming at. And, and guess what? I mean, just because I changed their sight line about where they're aiming, now they're going to hit it. And, 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 and it's like, these are the things that I look for in practical utilization of the data to say, I mean, everybody can say they want this or they want that, but you've got to be able to tie it in to a really 
you know, core metric that tells you, am I healthy or not? And, and, and as I've seen, I mean, we look at hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of data sets all the time with our clients and, and, and people we do projects for. And, and I'm telling you, I mean, I, I, I just don't believe in a less than a 50% return, you know, of a, of a non-venture backed, you know, type, you know, business operation. Even when we have venture-backed operations, I, I go in and take those and I extract the venture aspect of it and take all of the, the goodwill and all the, the crap that gets slogged onto the balance sheet you know, from an acquisition or, or a purchase environment and clean it down to the clean operating picture of the business. And so if we have investor-funded businesses, I want, I want to know that that business is working correctly under its normative capital structure. And the fact that somebody paid for it and what return that money wants to get, it, it's going to accept a lesser return than 50% a lot of times, especially if it's looking to either do roll-ups or, or buy and sell, you know, and they're, they're more interested in the transactional value, you know, its own flip point. But un- underlying it, it needs to be a healthy operating business. So I want to keep um, kind of on this topic of, of labor. You're obviously... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the expert when it comes to that, and you wrote the the section in Vern's book on it. So you said that the labor productivity is the number one key to profitability. And I wonder if this is really top of mind for most leaders today. And if you could tell us a bit more about what is labor productivity. And um, I think you had a story about um, how much it could be costing an organization to ignore uh, labor productivity. Yeah, two employees. Yeah. So if you could tell that as well, it'd be great. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, from, from the standpoint of, um, you know, if you, when you look at labor, number one is you, you've got to change your mindset. Labor is not a, a subcomponent of something. It is the prime driver of, of activity. And so we like to measure, take labor as the denominator, that the bottom number in the fraction in, in case, you know, it's been a while since you did fractions, you know, so the, the numer what's the numerator that you're going to hold labor accountable to. Now, I, I just, this past year went in, in the recording studio. I've actually now recorded audibles, uh, you know, so both books are available on audible if you like to listen instead of read. And, and it was funny. I hadn't read the first book in 10 years since I wrote it. Um, you know, obviously we use the stuff every day, but I kind of gotten away from the, the first labor efficiency concept that I put in, in the first book was a simple one of gross margin, not revenue. Never, it's never revenue. Um, it, you always take revenue minus cost of goods sold. Now, you might be a business that doesn't have any cogs or just pure services. That's fine. But I'm still going to call it gross margin because you could have cogs and you need to always be open to that mindset that it's after I pass through any outside costs, what do I get to keep? And that's that first dollar of inside uh, margin production that I can spend internally. And that's my numerator. And then take all labor. Don't worry about direct. Don't worry about management. Just take that number relative to all labor. Now, let me me give you the, the inside baseball scoop. So if I take our 100 company model and I stack rank them from best to worst by overall labor efficiency ratio, um, and then I take the bottom 20 out of it, then I've got what's remaining of those 80. That 80 is is at about 15% profit. You know what the overall labor efficiency ratio is? Two. It's as simple as that. I mean, it is it is the most recurring pattern that we see in business, regardless, almost regardless of the industry. There's a few outliers, but not many. 
And, and if you've got any labor component, even if you're taking labor with some cogs and those things, when I take the overall labor efficiency ratio of gross margin by all labor of every type, and this is assuming that you're not playing games with your owner comp, you know, but if you, if you're, if you got clean comp numbers, you know, for all people involved, you know, you're, you're, it kind of goes back to that five, 10 and 15% profit number. We can say the same thing with overall labor efficiency. At a one eight, you're pretty good. You're an okay business. At one nine, you're a good business. At a one, at a two, you're a great business. And it, you know, I, I wish it was more more complex than that. I could charge more money, uh, you know, for it. But I, I'm, I'm telling you, I mean, you know, now that it does get a little more complex than that when you start to break it down, and you do kind of like in the chapter I wrote in Vern's book with with the scaling up about. You had, we broke it down between direct labor, management labor, sales labor, and, and you looked at those subcomponents. And those are great because then that's refining the playbook even further. So I was on a call with one of our Australia clients uh, earlier this week, and, and we were helping them. I mean, they're a fairly large business. They're on their way to do about $60 million in revenue. And so they've got a really big management labor bucket that we took and broke up by function. And we were able to... I mean, literally live on the call, we're taking, we're going back and looking at labor efficiency by each of these functions because the numerator for management labor is what we call contribution margin. So that's gross margin after direct labor. You know, that that's that what we call the output of the business engine. And so when you use contribution margin as your numerator, then we're holding each of these subcomponents of, of management labor or sales labor relative to that number. And you're wanting to see leverage as you watch it move across time. Are we getting more efficient? Are we getting less efficient? That's what that number is telling you. And because it's telling you direction of movement, your brain can, can say, okay, what am I going to do about it? Am I running hot? Are people just becoming unfocused? And have we cut too rich of a comp plan? You know, one of my complaints is when we look at sales labor efficiency, if I see sales labor efficiency relatively flat as a, as a ratio, you know, and it, as we scale up or down, I've got a flawed comp plan because I'm not, I should gain leverage as we get bigger and, and, and grow. I, I, if, I'm, if I've got a constant labor efficiency ratio for sales, I'm giving up too much of that, you know, in compensation, you know, to the people you know, to, to do it. And I'm just, it's like, I'm, I'm running in place. I'm not gaining anything. And that's really why we call the second book rules for smart scaling is because when you start to see businesses that are, you know, doing all the things to grow, but nothing's growing in margin creation or bottom line, that's not smart scaling. Uh, and, and really right now, you know, like I said, you know, if you're not growing at 26%, you know, you're, you're, you're behind the mar- the gift of the market at the moment. Because that's what the market's giving at the moment is 26% growth. Now, it's probably going to cool a tad this year, but I think it's still going to be 15 to 20. And um, but but a good bit of that is not output. It's going to be, you know, you just keep pushing your pricing, you know, to stay relevant as your costs start to change. So Greg, any final thoughts about, you know, how to get how do you educate your team on this? So it's not just the entrepreneur who's understanding these numbers, but really making this a, an organizational yeah. focus. Well, well, I think the, the key, the way we always do it is history. And so the first thing is, is your labor efficiency ratio targets are hiding in your own data. So go back and look at it. Take the last three years of your existing data and do your own data set. And so, you know, lay it out, you know, the last three years by month 
and then look at look at rolling 12 trends, then look at rolling three trends, you know, by the ones that you can measure and then look back and find where is your where's your personal best. And, and that, that's always the first place to look. And you're generally not at your personal best. And so you first question you ask is, you know, well, why were we doing it then? And we're not doing it now. What, what's changed now? Now, more than ever, a lot of what's changed is you haven't kept up with pricing. You know, you, you know, right now we're seeing tons of people that are late to the game and you're 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 chasing that you're you're reacting to cost instead of staying ahead of them. And, and we, we firmly believe in inflation management. You got to run ahead of the cost. And if you wait to, to catch up, you're, you're fighting a losing battle. Thanks for listening to Conversations at the Edge. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please share it with a friend or a teammate who you think would benefit from what we covered. In addition, you can find us on LinkedIn to get all of the updates, or if you'd like to hear the full conversation, just visit growthinstitute.com forward slash the edge to learn how you can become a member as well. Thanks again and see you next time.